Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. A Calgary woman, close to death from ALS, became the first non-Quebecer to be permitted a physician-assisted death in Vancouver and by court agreement this week. In 1993, Chris Considine was the lawyer for Sue Rodriguez, um, also dying of ALS, and uh, Chris argued her demand for the right to a physician-assisted death before the Supreme Court of Canada, 1993. And it came to just only one vote that uh, if it had gone the other way, then physician-assisted death would have been approved by the Supreme Court 23 years ago. Now, today we have um, the Supreme Court giving the federal government until February of next year to change the law and in the interim, individual courts, if petitioned and if everything's done the way it's supposed to be done, individual courts will provide individual Canadians with an individual opportunity or a right to physician-assisted death. We have the president of the Physicians Alliance Against Euthanasia with us, Dr. Catherine Ferrier of Montreal. She's been on this program before, a geriatrics doctor at uh, Montreal General Hospital. Dr. Ferrier, thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Me. And uh, Chris Considine, uh, Chris, you and I have been talking for 23 years. We have, Roy. And, and welcome back. It's a long journey. It long has. Journey. It has been a long journey. When we look at what happened today, I'll ask you both for your, or this week, I'll ask you both for your perspectives of where we stand. Uh, there are people in this country who are saying this was a, a very necessary step. It's another very necessary step to what Dr. Ferrier heard me say this, in my view, and I respect you greatly. But in my view, it's the final act of compassionate health care. There are people who have that position. There are also people who have the position that this is very dangerous and it creates the beginning of the slippery slope that we don't know where it's going to wind up. Let me start with you, Dr. Ferrier. This week says what to you and to the doctors in this country who feel as you do, keeping in mind that one of the two doctors who participated in ending the life of this woman gave interviews or gave an interview and said she felt very good about what she did. Um, yeah, it seems that the people who do this feel very good about what they do. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, I think it's not just the beginning of a slippery slope. I think one intentional death uh, is already a, is already a tragedy. Um, this is not something. This is not where society should be going. When the person specifically asks for, and we've covered this territory before, yeah. but it's important. When the person specifically asks for what this patient asked for. And did it while well, she was completely lucid, and ALS maintains your lucidity but destroys your body. When, when someone does it under those circumstances, and I'm sorry if I'm covering the same territory with you again, Dr. Ferrier, but why isn't it the person's right to ask? What is the, what's the greatest counter-argument to that? Well, according to the Supreme Court, it now is the person's right, but I would, I would not agree with that. Um, you know, we've always... The way we've always approached suicidal patients is to try to stop them from killing themselves on the grounds that, number one, probably they are, are not in, in their best uh, uh, moment, let's say, and, and also that we have a duty to not, you know, not to prolong life forever and ever and ever when people have severe illnesses, but to, to not act directly to end it. That's not medicine. Uh, it's it's just not what we do, and it's not what I think society should be condoning. So medicine has been compromised by the court? 
I think medicine has been compromised by the court. We didn't ask for this. Chris, um, what is this week when, within the context of your your support for Sue Rodriguez and uh, the fight that you put forward for her and what's gone on for the last 23 years? What does this week mean to you significantly, specifically? Well, I think that as the Supreme Court of Canada has said uh, that the in the Carter decision that patients uh, who have intractable illness and are suffering obviously may be able to have physician-assisted death in certain circumstances. They were confining their decision there, of course, to the uh, Ms. Carter and Ms. Taylor, who had uh, serious terminal illnesses. But what it means is that there's an option for those who are terminally ill at this stage to be able to have a physician-assisted death. Certainly, there are interpretations which mean that the issue may be expanded to those potentially, and we just don't know where it will go yet, but in terms of who have other types of illnesses and they can't cope anymore. But I certainly think at the preliminary stage, at this stage right now, for the Sue Rodriguez of the world, for those with terrible cancers, etc., this is a very compassionate way to help them when there is no further hope for them, there are no further options, and that it ends that indignity of, of uh, mental and physical suffering. Chris, would you think that the argument that you put forward to the Supreme Court in 1993, given what we know what the court has said to the government, the uh, the instructions it's given the government about writing legislation, would what you suggested to the Supreme Court in 1993 be deemed to be perfectly acceptable, do you think? Would you make the same argument to the Supreme Court in 2016 that you made in 1993? Yes, and essentially that was the same argument, but the benefit... Uh, for Ms. Carter and Ms. Taylor was that, of course, there was the experience in Washington State, in Oregon State, and several other jurisdictions in the United States, as well as over in Europe, so that the council were able to show that there hadn't been the abuses, there hadn't been the slippery slopes, by and large, that are the concern of, of some, some uh, physicians. So I think that it's very important to remember this is an, an alternative option for people in that type of situation. That is not to take away from palliative care. It's very important that palliative care also be properly funded in this country, and it, it isn't in many uh, jurisdictions in the country because there are small towns which just don't have the facilities available. We need to make sure that's also properly funded. Something you and I have talked about, Dr. Ferrier, is the, uh, the palliative care issue, and that it is critically important, but it's also not available to all Canadians. What do you do in a situation where someone is in a life-ending circumstance and the um, and I'm not trying to paint you into a corner. You know that from my conversations with you so far. Uh, but when someone is in a in a, in a life-ending reality, and they don't have access to palliative care, what are their options? Well, I would turn that question around and say, how could it be that we're talking about killing people when we don't can't even give them proper palliative care? And if you read the the report of the joint committee that came out last week or the week before, you know it's all about access to death. And there's so many things in healthcare that people don't have good access to, and it's not just palliative care. It's getting an older person into the hospital and through the emergency room. There's zillions of things that people can't get. So why are we trying to prioritize death? Let me take a break, and we'll come back. We'll talk more with Dr. Catherine Ferrier, with Chris Constantine, and I want to talk to Dr. Ferrier about something she sent me, and that's the vulnerable person's standard. I want to find out what that's about. Stay with us.
Euthanasia, it's one of the most challenging and one of the most talked about and one of the most hotly debated and strongly opinionated issues in this country. What do we do? How do we do it? And what don't we do? And why shouldn't we do it? The Supreme Court has given the federal government until February of uh, next year to come up with legislation, which it will find um, appropriate for euthanasia to go forward. In Quebec, there is a law which already allows Quebecers to make that decision under parameters the law explains. And in the rest of Canada, individual courts will deal with individual cases as long as they're brought before the court appropriately. Chris Considine was Sue Rodriguez's lawyer. He's uh, with us from Victoria, British Columbia. Sue Rodriguez in 1993 was dying of ALS, and Chris made the argument to the Supreme Court of Canada that she should have physician-assisted death. Uh, Catherine Ferrier, Dr. Catherine Ferrier, is the head of geriatric medicine at Montreal's General Hospital and president of Physicians Alliance Against Euthanasia. Chris, what does the law have to look like? What, what, what does the law have to state in order to appropriately safeguard the uh, the rights of the individual and preclude the slippery slope? Mm-hmm. Roy, just let me just jump in here that the Carter Taylor decision. Last year gave the government of Canada until February of this year. Was it this year? Legislation, that's right. And then they, uh, on an application by the federal government, extended uh, another four months until June. But there will be legislation, uh, most likely from the government of Canada by June. By the summertime, this okay. Year. So this is, this is a very imminent uh, situation developing. The parliamentary committee has recommended, in essence, that appropriate safeguards be such as there be uh, physicians who are aware of the person's difficulties, that they have uh, had options explained to them. Uh, and so something very similar to the Quebec legislation, I would expect, would likely be either introduced by Parliament or encouraged by Parliament to be introduced by the provinces across the country. And that will be at a stage one level, which means that for competent adults who are suffering a grievous type of illness, um, and which may be terminal, or irremedial, uh, because there's always a question about what, how do you define terminal, but irremedial medical condition that uh, brings suffering is intolerable to them. So I expect that there will be uh, some form of legislation. Maybe initially it may be fairly narrow and restricted to the Rodriguez-Carter-Taylor situations of somebody with a terminal, clearly terminal illness, with the assistance of physicians, nurses, uh, and that they may have that option if they wish to. But the Parliamentary Committee very usefully also recommended that all other options be made aware of to the patient in the sense of saying to those who are mentally suffering that uh, mental health facilities be available to them and, and their families to help them, that uh, palliative care be improved, that they advocated for a reestablishment of a committee to provide palliative care throughout the country, which I hope will provide further funding, which will help uh, many physicians in that regard and, and the patients. So I expect we will see a protocol very similar to that of Quebec, uh, which is also very similar to Oregon and Washington, which will be brought in across the country for competent adults. And then I think that the uh, Parliament will study over the next several years, if they accept the committee's recommendations, the further issues that have been raised by that committee. Dr. Farrier, do you agree with uh, Chris Considine? And then would you also tell us what uh, the vulnerable person's standard is about? Uh, sure. If I could just backtrack for a minute. Um, Mr. Considine said before about people with no hope and no options. I think that everybody can have hope even if they're dying and uh, and to to acquiesce to their idea that they have no hope is basically to 
take away their hope and that we should not do that to people. And also indignity is if we acquiesce in their notion that their life has no value, we're, that's where the indignity comes from. There's no indignity related to being sick or being at the end of life. The Quebec law and the Supreme Court, you know, grievous and irremediable illness, that is so broad that that includes thousands and thousands of people. All my patients, uh, most people who are in hospitals, chronic diseases, all kinds of people. So that does not narrow the, the scope of the law at all. Um, and what the committee suggested last week was, in fact, it didn't say anything about timeline except for children, but for everybody else it said, you know, maybe you should be able to write ahead of time that if you get demented, you want to be uh, euthanized. Um, people with psychiatric illness should be entitled to be euthanized, uh, and so on and so forth. So it's not narrow at all. Uh, the vulnerable person standard is was developed in actually by people in the disability community, and uh, who were, I think, for the most part, opposed to to what's happening now but who have now said, well, since it's going to happen, whether we like it or not, let's see what safeguards could be written into the law to ensure that people are protected in their vulnerabilities. And a lot of it, it turns around what they call a vulnerability assessment so that anybody who asks for death would be evaluated by doctors and by a interdisciplinary group of professionals to make sure that they're not asking because they have uncontrolled pain that could be controlled because they're isolated, because they lack resources, because they're poor, because they're uh, lonely, they uh, feel stigmatized because of their disability, feel ashamed, uh, all of those things that can feed into uh, a desire for death. So that's the main thing. It also talks about ensuring that the consent is voluntary and capable, that the person's really at the end of life. Um, and that uh, the other important point that they add is that there should be some kind of arm's length authorization before the person is killed and not after. Uh, all the other jurisdictions, they have committees after the death to make sure the criteria were met, but it's kind of too late. Um, so they're advocating for either a judge or some kind of uh, independent body who would review, obviously, quickly uh, the, the, the case um, and would would authorize the whether they can go ahead with that or not. Okay, Chris? Yeah, I, I think that um, we do have to sound always a note of caution and move carefully. When I did the Rodriguez case, there were some very important factors that I thought were necessary to protect the patient. And one was that the patient had to be mature adult with a terminal illness, uh, freely and voluntarily consenting. And I was advocating that time the patient themselves uh, provided or did the final means. Now, as we move forward with our society, one of the issues has been, and I think that's generally accepted, I don't think that's a problem, but as we move forward now, we have an increasing incident of Alzheimer's. And many people say, if I was ever in an advanced state of Alzheimer's, I wouldn't want the indignities that can go with that. But the problem is, how do you make a decision, even if the person gives an advanced directive, when and if that should actually take place. When is that consent valid, still valid, et cetera? So there are issues there. There's issues with depression. Probably everybody has had depression at some point or another, whether a sad love affair when you're 17 or whatever. So therefore you have to guard about that very carefully and, and say, do, do we want to provide physician-assisted death for somebody who's very depressed? How do you measure that level of depression and what provisions have been given to them to help them medically otherwise? 
So we do have some challenges for sure. I think we can safely at this stage provide physician-assisted death to adults who are uh, terminally ill or an intractable disease uh, with chronic pain, uh, physically and mentally, as as the Parliament, as, as Supreme Court of Canada has pointed out in Rodriguez. But I think there is caution to go forward. And I think that the Parliamentary Committee is saying there should be some careful reviews and discretions in these cases. I have about 30 seconds, Dr. Ferrier. There's no step back now, right? I mean, this is, uh, this is done. Like it now. This is done. So now it's a, a case of, of defining it um, as acceptably uh, to everyone on both sides of the issue. And this is a really, really heavily polarized issue. I thank you both very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Roy. You're welcome. Thank you. Chris Gons and I, I've been speaking with Chris since uh, 1993, and um, Dr. Catherine Ferrier, who is the uh, head of the uh, Physicians Alliance Against Euthanasia and head of geriatric medicine at Montreal's General Hospital. On the issue of euthanasia...